Good morning and welcome to our podcast, Risk Engineers Talk Governance. I'm Gay Francis and Richard Robinson's here as my business partner. How are you going this morning, Richard? I'm particularly well, Gay, although it is a bit chilly. It is a bit chilly here in Melbourne. Winter has definitely arrived. Um, so this first podcast is really just an introduction to what we're going to do. So we'll introduce ourselves, what we do, what we hope to cover during the first season of the podcast and some of the episodes that we'll cover and just a little bit of chit-chat so you get to know Richard and I. So um, we're not particularly good at introducing ourselves, so I'm going to have a go at introducing Richard and then he'll have a go at introducing me. Um, so Richard's a career risk and due diligence engineer who's been in the business for over 40 years. Um, he works across a whole lot of industries, rail, road, marine, um, petrochemical, water, gas, electricity, you name it, he's been there and done that. So Richard's really seen as one of the, the world leaders in, in this risk and due diligence business. Um, I've been working with Richard at R2A for over 25 years and started there as a grad engineer. Um, so we've worked together a lot. Richard also does a lot of courses through Engineering Education Australia as well as in-house courses of our, our own on risk and due diligence and project due diligence and governance. And we also have a couple of booklets that we've co-authored together, um, Criminal Manslaughter, How Not to Do It, Engineering Due Diligence and our new one, Project Governance. Um, so, yeah, Richard, Richard's been in the industry for a long time. Um, he does have a little bit of a warped sense of humour and you need to get to know him a little bit better. Um, my sister actually worked with us many years ago and she said he reminded her of Mr Bean and some of his, his tall lankiness and his, um, some of his jokes. So um, that was a pretty nice introduction, Richard, so I'm hoping for the same. Well, good morning, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> this is Gay Francis, my business partner, uh, now of about 20 years, although we've been working together for close to 30 years, as you pointed out. Um, in that time, she got married and had two kids, Charlotte and Amelia. Um, uh, and I've got to say, at this point, the husband got displaced abruptly on her, <laughs> on her phone by the kids when they arrived. Um, one of the, just to give you an idea, and she was talking about my, my, my sense of humour, when, when one of the first things she said, I said to her when we first met, and she was asking what this risk business was about, and I said, well, think about it, there are three key terms, and they are eek, erk, and oops. And she said, well, yes, I can add a fourth term to that, and that is grr, which mostly happens when you're working with older males. So she's had a few life experiences <laughs> like that, I understand. <laughs> um, possibly the other thing which I found most entertaining about her is that she actually... Um, trained as a chemical engineer and when she went into industry and I had personal experience of this because I was there when it happened, she discovered she was actually allergic to chemicals, which is unfortunate. And I have to point out that actually never gets old. <laughs> it's a bit embarrassing, but I, I must admit some of the things that I've done at R2A have got me out of my comfort zone and challenged me no end. So actually scared of heights and I've climbed up the side of the ship side of a ship out in Bass Strait and in Tasmania and many other places around Australia. Um, also climbed up onto the top of the stadium here in Melbourne to look at some roofing issues. And um, yes, I got the phone call to go and do that at site inspection. Richard was actually interstate and um, he said, can you go and do this site inspection for me? And I said, I'm wearing a skirt address today. So raced out at lunchtime to buy pants and went and did this site inspection in the afternoon on the top of um, yeah, a stadium you, you roof. You never mentioned that you actually bought pants. You <laughs> just complained that there was a problem. <laughs> I wasn't going to go and do a site inspection like that. So, yes, I've been taken out of my comfort zone a number of times um, in this. So, as Richard said, we're, we're business partners and we've been working at R2A for 30 years. 
And so we're career risk and due diligence engineers. Um, we've stayed in the industry and, and been boutique consultants, I guess, for that time um, in that uh, I think we like to help people to solve their problems. You know, the, the risk business and industry has become very complex um, and there's a lot of resources going into it and I'm not sure that organisations are getting bang for buck for what, what they're putting oh. into it. That's completely the case. I mean, basically, so far as we can tell, the, the OHS business in particular has turned into an industry um, that, that's sort of got a life of its own that's just quite independent of all corporate objectives and things like that, which, so far as we can tell, is costing an awful lot of organisations an awful lot of money uh, for very little result. And I guess our, our point of difference is that, that we come from the common law viewpoint of, of what would be expected to be done in the event that something happens. Yep. Um, which is very, very different from just applying the risk management standard, for example. So we sort of combine those two, uh, come with a due diligence process um, to to make organisations look at what their risk issues are and, more importantly, what they have to have in place to, to manage these things. Yeah, it actually goes a bit further than that because one of the curious things about us, and I know a number of people have been very surprised by this about us, is that if... Um, we figure out that we're not achieving things because um, perhaps sometimes the OHS faction is particularly well entrenched and we haven't been able to get the lawyers to actually correct matters. Um, we simply walk away. It doesn't matter if people are paying us good money. If we can't achieve anything worthwhile, um, then we won't keep doing it. And we've walked away from major regulators in both uh, major jurisdictions and, and, and federal regulators who, so far as we can tell, weren't applying due diligence as, as expressed in the common law, which is what turned up in the WHS legislation. So, yes, we're a little bit different in that way. But we love what we do and um, we, we really do feel that we make a difference with the people that we work with. Um, so why this podcast? So we, we've done a number of webinars, um, but we get asked interesting questions all throughout our work that we do. And so we thought this podcast might be um, a format and, and, and arrangement to be able to explore some of those issues that, that people, you know, ask us questions about consistently. Or constantly. So some of the things that we've got of our uh, hot topics to talk about in this first season are ALAP versus SOFAP, which is still creating a, a lot of um, confusion within the industry and organisations. And perhaps what confuses us the most, I mean, it all sort of popped up um, in 2004 in Victoria after Maxwell QC reviewed the OHS Act in Victoria and then it got transferred into the WHS legislation in most jurisdictions in 2011-2012. Um, but it's still causing grief and difficulty. And it's generally with the technical part, it's not the legal side of things. Lawyers understand it quite well. And they're trying to align the two and there, there are key differences between the two terms, but people are saying that they equate to the same thing. A lot, Many industries are saying that they're equating to the same thing. Well, it, it is true, a rose by, you know, it's still a rose by any other name. And a lot of people would be basically redefining ALAP as SOFARP. But we don't understand why you bother to do that. You might as well make it clear what that was a difference and that you've changed and effectively moved to the right place. Mm. So another one that um, we get a lot of discussion points on is, is standards and how standards are used. Um, and they're really backwards looking. They're written retrospectively and they're not forward looking. So it's sort of... And the way Australia's been using standards lately, we are actually going backwards. Because uh, under the, the WHS legislation, for example, it's quite clear you've got to do the... Uh, achieve things so far as reasonably practicable. Right? If you can do better than the standard, then you've got to get there. So the standard is merely the starting point if you're talking about a technical standard. It's not where you, you can't design by standards and have useful innovation. And so 
we, as far as we can tell, innovation is being suppressed by a way in which Australians have been going about the use of standards. And, and, and the comment of a lot of organisations is we've always done it that way, doesn't roll anymore. No. You can't do that. You've got to always look forward. What else can we do? To the extent that you have control, you have to demonstrate the best that you that you've done the best that you can. And that's for all parties involved in the in the process, not Correct. just you know a single party. Correct. Um, code of practice and the ISO thirty one thousand. There's a, a mismatch of ideas there, and that's um, uh, unfortunate. ISO thirty one thousand has done a lot of damage to Australian industry in the last twenty years. And since it's now inconsistent with the legislation, we don't understand why people are still basically designing to it and an awful lot of governments trying to do it too. And it just doesn't make sense anymore. Regulations and licence to trade. Um, one of the interesting things there is um, the requirements of the regulators are often or, or can be... Um, Inconsistent. Inconsistent. Thank you, Richard, um, with, with the, the legislation. So um, some organisations are actually having to do two processes to get one for a licence to trade and then to meet their statutory um, obligations. Yes, particularly when the regulator's got it wrong. Um, it's one of these things, if you want the licence to trade, you've got to satisfy the regulator. If you want to satisfy the legislation, you often have to do something different. And that's when we often have to walk away from a regulator when they don't recognise that. So um, many of these topics and, and some of our, our regular, you know, regular listeners to our webinars and things like that will have heard us say this and we sort of tiptoed around some of these subjects over the last 10 years um, as to not to offend anyone. But I think as we go further and further in this legislation, as Richard said, has been in Victoria since 2004 and in the re most of the rest of Australia 2012, um, you know, we're now 10 years down the track plus and we're still doing some of the – facing some of the issues that, you know, you would expect to see the first couple of years of this legislation. Correct. Um, so a couple of other interesting topics of, that we have on, on the cards is um, risk appetite and zero harm and organisations trying to relate those two ideas of risks. They're actually two different risk models. Yeah, and the confusion is mostly at board level. Mm. I, I don't think the, 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 the troops have the confusion. It's mostly at board level. And we've briefed a number of boards lately where they simply didn't understand. And so far as we can tell, they've been taking their advice exclusively from, uh, from management consultants um, and that's not caused, the technical view. And there's been no technical view. And when you live in an advanced technological society, that doesn't make a lot of sense. Mm. Um, and the language of risk and the complexity of it, and and how people are actually using some of the words. Well, just risk alone, it's it's a mess. I mean, the insurance world talks about it as a noun. Most technical people think of it's likelihood and consequence simultaneously. But when you're in court and it's all gone wrong. Um, and the fact is certain it's a particular instance and you're really talking about the likelihood of that particular instance occurring. And so when people use the word risk, everyone's confused. Mm. So they're sort of some of the hot topics that have been our standout items of concern, I guess, uh, over the last 10 years and what people have sort of come to us and said, we'd like to know more about this. But um, we really want this podcast to be a timely, interesting sort of session. Um, so if any of our listeners have got any um, ideas of and things that they'd like to, well, to discuss... Well, people that they'd like us to interview. Um, yeah. Probably in the second season we expect to be actually interviewing various people in various places who have particular frustrations, particularly when somebody's, for example, adapted the risk management standard to the SEPTEP process, uh, that's um, crime prevention through design. Um, there's some weird things going on out there that make no sense. Mm. And even um, industry-specific things. So the topics that we've sort of outlined don't go across the industries, but there are some 
um, issues of concern and issues facing specific industries that are, are relevant there as well. Probably particularly important so just people understand. Uh, I mean, um, just before COVID, uh, R2A, together with the Victorian Bar, sponsored the Professor of Law and Public Policy out of Cambridge, David Howarth. And the reason why we're interested in him is he's got a book out as Law as Engineering. And the point of, that he makes in his presentations is that what the lawyers are actually doing, at least the big UK and US firms, is that they're actually adopt, adopting and deliberately studying the engineering design process. Because basically the point he makes is if you're a lawyer, it's what happens with engineers, uh, somebody turns up with a problem or something they want to do, and then basically what you say is, well, in the circumstances, these are the options, and which one, in all your circumstances, is the best, and that's the best way forward. Um, and that's just a basic engineering design process, um, and which the engineers have been doing now for a very long time, uh -huh. um, but which seems to be sort of a 10-year transition for the, for the lawyers. Um, we certainly came across this a long time ago with uh, a lawyer from Baker McKenzie, Ting Wai Chan, um, and he, he made the point there are two types of lawyers out there. Those will tell you what the law is and those will say, well, in the circumstances, what are your options and which is the best? So certainly a lot of lawyers in Australia have been thinking about it, although we haven't necessarily seen all the law firms adopting it. Mm -hmm. So that's sort of an overview of our, our podcast season one. Um, we hope you can join us for, for the next couple of episodes. And um, as, as we both said, if, if you'd like to talk to about anything in particular, we'd love to, for you to drop us a line. So have a great day and we hope to see you next time.